Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Tiffany Kazaroski, and today we're talking with Dr. David Kimberlin. He is a professor of pediatrics at UAB, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and is co-director of the Division of Infectious Diseases. He's also one of two AAP, that's the American Academy of Pediatrics, liaisons to the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Welcome, Dr. Kimberlin. Tiffany, thank you for having me. And we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine and its rollout is progressing, uh, as we've seen. And even here at Children's, uh, employees and members of the community are starting to receive the vaccine. How safe and effective is this vaccine? The vaccine is safe and it's highly effective. One of the things that that I think has concerned people is is just simply how fast they were developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that's an incredibly good thing. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, thousands of people dying every day. We need to move quickly. And that's in fact what was done. But Every single aspect of the development of these vaccines Mm -hmm. followed the standard approach, the standard approach that's Mm -hmm. been done for all vaccines now for decades and decades. They had phase one studies. That's when you first give a vaccine to a population and you see what dose you need to give. Followed by phase two and phase three studies where you give it to larger numbers of people. Some get the active vaccine, some get a matching placebo so you can compare and see how safe it is and how effective it is. The size of those trials for the Moderna study was 30,000 people. For the Pfizer study was 44,000 people. That's just for the phase two, phase three. You add in the phase ones, we're probably about 75,000 people that this has been tested in, these two vaccines that are out right now. And that's exactly the size that any vaccine in development would be tested. So we have a lot of experience. The safety looks really good. Um, it does mm-hmm. cause some sore arm. When I got mine, it was like a Tdap vaccine. My arm hurt for about a day and a half. In some people, it can cause some low-grade fever. It can cause some achiness, some chills. It's kind of like the flu vaccine. That's a good thing. That right. means your body is seeing something and making an immune response to it, which mm-hmm. is what you want a vaccine to do. Even in those very rare, and I'm talking very rare, uh, you know, allergic reactions that, you know, that have been written about in the press and so mm-hmm. forth and are being followed by CDC and, and other safety groups. Even those are manageable. So very safe vaccine, mm-hmm. highly, highly effective, protects 95% of people from getting COVID and protects 100% of people from getting severe COVID. This is our way out from this pandemic. Tell me the two stages. You get the first round of vaccine and then 28 days later, you're getting the second round of the vaccine. How important is it for people to get both doses of the vaccine? I'll just adjust what you said briefly. and It's a minor adjustment, but with the Pfizer vaccine, it's 21-day intervals between dose one and dose two. And with the Moderna vaccine, it's 28-day intervals. Okay. So three or four weeks after, depending which vaccine you get, after your first dose, you need to get a second dose. The way that these have been studied, therefore, the way we know about their safety and the way we know about how good they are, you know, 95% efficacy. Tremendous. Tremendous. The way we know that is by giving both doses. So right now, Mm -hmm. the recommendations are to get both doses. Now, you may have read some countries are beginning to think about giving not a second dose, but in order to get more people vaccinated with the first dose, 
use their supplies, their limited supplies right mm -hmm. now, to get more people getting a first dose. Mm -hmm. Right now, the United States is not thinking about such an approach. Okay mainly because we don't have the data for it. And one thing I've been really, really proud of with the American approach, with the Food and Drug Administration approach, with the CDC approach, is that we have had an evidence-based approach or engagement with this. Mm -hmm. We follow the data. And if the data say to do it one way, that's the way we do it. Now, if the data come out and say we can give one dose and then have a longer period of time between then and dose two, then that could be a reasonable thing to consider. But that's not where we are right now. Right now, it's dose one followed three or four weeks later mm -hmm. with dose two. Let's get into a little bit of the scientific part of it, how the vaccine actually works, and maybe the difference between the way this vaccine works compared to, say, the flu vaccine. Right now, as we sit here doing this podcast, there are two vaccines that have been authorized by the Food and Drug Administration under mm -hmm. emergency use authorization. One is the Pfizer vaccine. The other is the Moderna vaccine. Both of those vaccines are called mRNA vaccines, messenger RNA vaccines. Now, I make that distinction because there are a couple of more vaccines that will be likely in front of us within a month or two. And those are made by AstraZeneca and by Janssen, which is a subsidiary, I think, of Johnson & Johnson. Okay. So you sometimes hear it as J&J, &J, Johnson & Johnson, Janssen, Janssen. Uh -huh. Both of those vaccines use a different platform. And we can talk about that on a future broadcast if they become available to us. Right. So I'm going to focus now just on the mRNA vaccines. mRNA is a little piece of, of genetic code mm -hmm. that tells a cell to make something. In this case, it's to make the spike protein of the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus that's causing our pandemic. So if you inject minuscule amounts, like 100 micrograms of this mRNA, and it's in a little fat bubble, lipid bubble, and you inject it directly into a person's arm, then it goes into the cells of that arm muscle, and it tells the cell to make the spike protein, which the cell does, and it pushes the spike protein out onto the surface of the cell. The immune system sees it and makes an immune reaction to it, okay. so that you then, if you are exposed to the real coronavirus, mm -hmm. And, and it has a spike protein all over it, studded. If it sees that, it neutralizes it before you can get infected. That's the way it works. And mm -hmm. I mentioned as well, you heard me say about the minuscule aspects of the amount of this mRNA. If you're infected with COVID, you're loaded with the COVID mRNA. Right. Here we use just a small amount mm -hmm. in a way that teaches your immune system mm -hmm. To protect you from it. If you then subsequently are exposed, you don't get infected and you don't die. And speaking of which, so many people are dying in America of this disease every day and all over the world. These vaccines are our only way out, as you can see it right now. Well, they're certainly our best way out. There is another approach. Let me, let me back it out and, and talk a little bit about what we need to do to stop the pandemic. We need to have enough Americans really globally, but let's just talk about the U.S. We need to have enough Americans immune to the virus where the virus can't easily find people who are not immune to the mm -hmm. virus and begin to spread among those people. So right mm -hmm. now we, we think that something like 70% of the United States population will need to be immune to the virus in order to prevent spread. And by preventing spread, we open businesses, we get back on airplanes, we visit family, we hug people, we take our masks off, we right. shake hands. We get back to 2019, mm -hmm. in other words. Right. So 
how do we get to 220 million people? Well, one way is to just let everybody get infected. And that actually has been advocated by some rather unorthodox thinking people. If we do that, we're going to kill 4 million Americans. So one approach, option one, behind door one, is uh, kill 4 million Americans. Now, we have an option two now that we have these vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, and that is to get 220 million Americans vaccinated. We're not going to do it immediately. We don't have enough supply to do it immediately. But mm -hmm. over the next weeks and just handful of months, we can get there. We can do this. And if we do that, no additional Americans die, except right. for those that are getting infected as we slow down the amount of virus in our communities. And we reach the same goal. I would encourage people listening to this to think, what, what do you want? Do you want to kill 4 million of your countrymen? Or mm -hmm. do you want to get a vaccine? I would suggest the vaccine's the better approach. And right now we know that the vaccine is not available for children or anyone under the age of 16, right? But eventually there will be something. There are some studies going on. That's exactly right. Um, the Pfizer vaccine, you know, one of the two that, that's authorized right now, has been studied in the documentation that was provided to the Food and Drug Administration had already been studied in 16 and 17 year olds, mm -hmm. plus 18 and above. The Moderna vaccine had only been studied in the materials put before the FDA in December, had only been studied in 18 year olds and above. Now, both of those companies have expanded and are more actively expanding their pediatric investigations. Th their approaches tend to be kind of going down in lower and lower ages. The ages that are closer to 16 or 18 first, the right. teenage years, you know, for instance, mm -hmm. and then, you know, subsequently you go down to the younger and younger ages. I would expect that we're going to start getting information from those studies maybe late April, May, mm -hmm. June of this year, we'll start getting that kind of information, at least for the, the teenagers. And as we have that, and by then we'll, we'll know more about our vaccine supplies as well, then the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices that you mentioned I'm a liaison to, mm -hmm. uh, will be able to take up recommendations and the FDA will be able to take up considerations about whether these vaccines should be recommended at that point for children. It will not happen. I said before about how proud I am that we follow the data. It will not happen until we have the data. Right. We being the scientific community in America. And so we'll get there. It'll be a bit delayed. And in the meantime, the way we can protect our children is by protecting ourselves. And so when your slot comes up, you know, when your group is called, so to speak, to get the vaccines and you're an adult, get it. That's the way that teachers can be immune. That's the way schools can stay open. That's the way businesses can reopen. That's the way we get back to normal. Any other thoughts, Dr. Kimberlin, on the vaccine, the way we're managing this, moving into 2021? I think a couple of things. One is we need more doses of the vaccine. The companies realize that. The government realizes that. Operation Warp Speed realizes that. And we will get there. There's been some sort of negative attention paid to the period mid-December to early January that, you know, not as many Americans were getting vaccinated as, as we thought or we anticipated, or at least the government, you know, put out there as projections. And honestly, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. It didn't exist before. And it certainly hasn't been done on this scale, except, you know, maybe since the polio days back in the 50s. It's going to take some time. I'm not talking months and years. I'm talking weeks. So be patient. Let us do our job. Now, the other part of that, though, is the people listening need to do their job. As we have this limited supply, we're having a phased rollout, a phased mm -hmm. recommendation of who should get it. And when your group is called, you know, roll up your sleeve and get this. This is safe and it's highly effective. Put down your phone, turn off Facebook, 
Do not listen to tweets. Listen to science and listen to the experts. You know, if, when my car breaks, I take it to the, to the mechanic. Mm -hmm. I trust my mechanic. He calls me up, he says, this is what's wrong with your car and this is what we need to do to fix it. And my answer is yes, sir, let's do that. Uh, my answer is not, I wanna see the data. I wanna understand how the computer system works that you did to analyze this. I wanna know where the part comes from. I wanna see the supply chain. I mean, it's not that. Right. I don't know anything about cars. I know who to trust. And so the analogy here is pretty apparent. Trust your doctor. Mm -hmm. Trust the CDC, trust the public health officials, the ones that are bleeding blood, sweat, and tears, right. and then roll up your sleeves and do the right thing for your country and for yourself. And encourage other people and your family and your circle of friends to do the same. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Kimberlin, for your time. We thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. More podcasts like this one can be found at childrensal.org forward slash inside pediatrics.